Hey guys, this is a classic episode that we wanted to put up um, for this uh, week, and it's going to be our conversation with Dennis Cowan. Now, you may know Dennis Cowan from his contributions with Milestone on the uh, titles such as Hardware and Static, and he also was the animation director, I believe, over at uh, BET um, at the then, as we mentioned in the episode, uh, Black Panther animation um, series that was coming out. Um, but we also discussed um, his uh, beginnings with continuity under the uh, tutelage of Neil Adams, his chance meeting with comic book legend Alberto Breccia, which is still an awesome story. And we also get into that famous or perhaps infamous Doer's Whiskey ad that is mentioned by none less than Rob Liefeld. You have to you have to hear the episode to, um, to get it, but that's cool. Um, the man has had a very long career with no end in sight, and we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, it was a blast for us to record, and we're going to raise a glass of Doer's to Mr. Dennis Cowan. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis, before we get to like background and, and all the cool stuff that we've read over the years that you've worked on, what are you up to these days? You, we talked about the question here briefly, but you, I'm, I'm really more specifically trying to get back to you haven't been at BET for a minute, right? Yeah, for about a year. Okay. And for about a year. And in terms of your parting with, with BET, like what have you been doing in, in the last year? Did you go right back into doing more comic work? Or? I went right back. Well, you know, I took a break to decompress. Mm-hmm. It takes you about six months to decompress from it. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, but uh, you know, in that six months, in in, in the year uh, since since uh, BET, I've been drawing. Okay. Mm. So it's been all comic books all the time, you know. And you know, uh, I lined up a couple of projects. So I was very fortunate that people uh, were still interested mm-hmm. in, in in me drawing stuff for them. So uh, I'm working with Axel Alonso, and one of the things we're doing is. Uh, the, you know, Captain America. I call it Captain America versus Black Panther. The official title is Flags of Our Fathers. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the, the first meeting between Black Panther and Captain America. It also guest stars Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos. Okay, cool. And what it's really, the story, what it's really about is how Gabe Jones, you know, the bugle player mm-hmm. in the Howling Commandos, the one black guy. Yeah. All the gray in the comic books. Yeah. And, you know, in the early... Jack Kirby kind of like, who's the great guy? Uh, he don't look like the others. He's great. Um, uh, we're telling the whole story from his point of view. Okay. If you think about it, you know, this is a black man in World War II with an all-white unit mm-hmm. full of mixed personalities, you know, mm-hmm. and he's going off to fight a foreign war, but his people really aren't free at home. See, I still haven't gotten off my black nationalist kid. Oh, here we go. And, um... <laughs> And, you know, our, our feeling was if we were going to do a story with Captain America and the Black Panther, let's make it mean something. Mm, you know, okay. let, let's really get into it. So, uh, you know, the real reason for the book is, for, for, for me, is being able to tell that story. Okay. And, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the meantime, you get a whole lot of superhero fights. And, okay. You know, uh, Red, you know, Red Skull shows up and Baron, um, who's the guy with the monocle? He's Strunk? Monocle. Yes. Okay. There we go. Stucker. That's definitely cool. Well, sir, let's let you have a long and lauded career and we want to touch on as many things as we possibly can in the time given. All right. So let's start at the beginning. Uh t- 
tell us about growing up in New York and which borough you're from and your your first recollections of art and comics and you know uh, the, the whole nine, sir. Okay, well, I'll do the best I can. Yeah. I, uh, I was born in uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a Queens native. I was born in Jamaica, Queens. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, my earliest memory of doing comics is actually my mom was an artist. Hmm. And um, um, my earliest memories of her is her oil painting, believe it or not, in the living room and watching her oil paint. She didn't do it professionally because black women did not do professional art in 1960-whatever. Mm, okay. She, she, she worked other places, but um, she just drew as a hobby, and I remember watching her and watching her. And then I would sit down, and I would draw comic book panels. But I had never seen a comic book. So I would just draw, like, these boxes, and then I would always draw Superman because I remember seeing Superman on TV. Mm. So I would draw, like, stick figures of Superman, literally a stick figure with a cape and an S on the cape. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I've advanced much past that. <laughs> if I think about it, because it's really the same. Like I've, it's all I've done. Um, that's my earliest memories of like I would put together whole stories in little boxes, imitating the boxes on TV, not in comic books. Okay. Like the TV box. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna put little pictures in here. Um, from there, we'll fast forward really quick because I, I went to an art high school. Right. I went to elementary school and drew all in elementary school. In elementary school, in fact, I met, um, is where I met Derek Dingle. Mm, okay. Derek Dingle's one of the co-founders of Milestone. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were um, second grade, third grade, fourth grade best friends, and Derek always drew better than me. He could draw like Jack Kirby. Mm, okay. And I was just putting actual clothes on the stick figures mm, okay. at that point. <laughs> but um, he opened my eyes to Jack Kirby. He's the one who really taught me about Jack Kirby. So, um, you know, we were close then. Then I went off and, and decided to pursue art. It was all I ever wanted to do. So I went to an uh, art high school, the High School of Art and Design, mm-hmm. Manhattan, and, and uh, majored in illustration and uh, had some excellent teachers, spent as little time there as I possibly could because I was in Queens, and then I'm in the big city. That was it. Right. So I was going to, you know, I was always at comic book stores or art galleries and mm. being a juvenile delinquent. <laughs> I managed to get out of that school and graduate, but <laughs> I think the best thing it did was it put me in the city. Okay. While I was in high school, I started working, actually, as an assistant. So I was 14 years old, and I started working as an assistant to Rich Buckler. Wow. Wow, okay. And uh, I was Rich's assistant, along with uh, a friend of mine, Pat Gabriel, and Ken Langrath was there. Armando Gill was there at that time. Armando hmm. introduced me to Rich Buckler, and he kind of took me on as an apprentice. And I literally, so, you know, it's like 14 years old and assistant. Wow, no. I was going out getting the coffee. <laughs> and, uh, I got to sweep. Okay. I got to clean up, and I got to watch. And then I got to do, like, clipping. So I got, I got all the clip art together. So I would go through magazines and just pull out pictures of buildings, blah, blah, blah. I go through comic books and clip things out and paste them on papers like you know here's all the buildings that John Bissema drew in Fantastic Four and here's all this stuff I mean we just swiped everything no damn okay um, I mean not swiping everything I don't want to make it sound like Rich swiped everything because he didn't but it was it was reference you know it was just, right. it was just reference and, and that was my job was to cut it out and paste it up and I managed to screw that up like why'd you cut half the building off you should have gotten the whole building I'm like oh man well, so, um, well, what did you use to cut cut the buildings out with? You use like a Zacto blade, or what you're using? Or scissors? Scissors? 
No, really. And like not good scissors either, but you know, like those kid scissors. <laughs> With the, the rounded round edges. <laughs> and you're just trying to work it. But I was so happy to be there and be around comic book artists and comic book pages. Mm-hmm. So funny. Rich um, would take me to, like I would go up to Marvel in D.C. with him. Mm-hmm. And so I'm 14 years old and I'm meeting Garcia Lopez. And I'm meeting, you know, I'm just literally hanging out with all these guys. Um, from from there, I, uh, you know, I'm still in high school. I'm still in design. So uh, I managed to finagle a job at Continuity. Okay. Hmm. And at this time, I'm like 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. I got an internship at Continuity. So I didn't have to go to school. I just went to work at Continuity. And that's, you know, Neil Adams' company. Right. Yeah. And uh, I did storyboards and comps and animatics. Oh, wait, hold it. No, I didn't. I got coffee. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> I, like, now think about it. I got coffee. I did cooking. <laughs> I ran errands. Um, I, met, I, had to, I was in charge of the, uh, uh, the um, it wasn't an autograph machine. It was, now I'm trying to remember the Lucy name. Graph, they called it? Or it, wasn't, it wasn't the Lucy. It basically, it was a giant, it was a photostat machine. Okay. okay. Because back then, you know, we didn't scan anything. You mm-hmm. basically took a high contrast, high level photograph of the pages. And they would, the print would come out the page size or whatever size you adjusted it, but it would be reproducible. But it was this whole thing, like you had to get in this machine, line it up, do all this stuff, line up the lenses, you know, press all the right buttons in the right sequence, and it would take this picture, mm-hmm. and then it would, you know, slowly spit out this photo stat. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so I was in charge of doing that. Screwed that up to the point where Wally would, Neil, you got this goddamn kid in here messing up my work. <laughs> <laughs> my first meeting with Wally Wood, like he's cursing me out. It was great. Man. <laughs> Wally Wood. Oh, yeah, sorry. I knew Wally Wood. I oh, Wally my Wood. God. What no, I, I've been in the business. Like, I saw Wally Wood up there, continuity. Who would roll through? Wally Wood, Gray Morrow, Larry Hammer, Ralph oh, Reed, Carl Potts. I saw everybody. I saw Frank Miller come mm-hmm. up there and show Neil his samples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to get work, Neil. <laughs> what do you think? Wow. And I, and I was there when Neil picked up the phone and said, Jim, Jim Shooter, I got a guy you need to see. Wow. So you were there to see that? I was there. I was sitting right, I was working right back in Neil. Wow. <laughs> you know, I was like, now that I think about it, I was a witness to like just some crazy stuff. Bill Sinkevich would come up. Right. Uh, Joe Neal's portfolio. T- Terry Austin. Terry Austin was working up there at the time. Marshall Rogers. Chaikin, Rubenstein. They worked. Um, Chaikin would come through. Rubenstein was there all the time. Rubenstein was working there before I was. Okay. As a kid. And uh, really learning his craft. And, you know, he's, everyone was, now that I think about it, everyone was incredibly nice to me. Mm hmm. Because I was just, you know, nappy-headed kid running around. Right. What was I doing? You know? Right. right. But um, uh, they were they were incredibly nice, and, and I just literally met damn near everyone. Mobius would come through. Oh. Wait, Mobius Whoa. would come through? Oh, dude. <laughs> it was like if he was visiting in town, they visited Neil Adams. Wow, of course you did. You know, he wasn't Mobius. visiting me, but I got to see him. Sean right. Road. Yeah. When I started there, they were working on Muhammad Ali versus Superman. Yeah, oh, so I'll let you know that. how long ago that yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. I remember Neil drawing all those picture, all those likenesses in the in this big crowd scene he had on the cover. Yeah, and in the background was a crowd watching the fight between Superman and Muhammad Ali. Right. Mm-hmm. All those people were people, actual people. So if you go back and look at that cover, he drew the Jackson Five in there. He yep. drew yep. Sonny and Cher. Yep. yep. You know, um, <laughs> Trevor Von Eden 
was one of the characters. Was one of the was he? Yeah, wow. Trevor. <laughs> Trevor just started Black Lightning. I'm telling you, that's awesome. <laughs> Trevor man. in there, it was great. That's crazy, man. I remember, I remember Don showing me that and pointing out right. all the and we were like, "Oh man, Neil yeah. got off on this." Yeah, these yeah no, I was, I was there and I watched him, and I just thinking, man, one day I'm gonna be able to draw all those likenesses just like that. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I have no desire to draw any likenesses. Oh, <laughs> uh, let me ask you this, Dennis. What, what was one of the lessons that you took away from uh, from your time at Continuity that you still apply or, or, or lean on today? And that could be something professional or even aesthetic. You know, either way, either one. Um. Well, you know, I'll tell you, Neil, who's like you know, uh, like Uncle Neil in a way, mm-hmm. um, never actually taught me not one thing. Literally did not pick up a pencil. You know, like you're in your imagination, it's like mentor, student. Right. I will show you how to draw Batman the correct way. Here, my son, now you try. It was nothing like that. Okay. It was more like Neil just worked a lot, and I would stare over his shoulder, and he would give me a look, and I'd go away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, like, I would creep back up and look again, and he would draw, stop, pause, look over his shoulder at me, and I would go away. <laughs> um, so, you know, what I learned from Neil was literally watching him. Okay. And, you know, I, and, and all the people around him, I learned about his process, I learned how he did things, but it wasn't anything he explained. Okay. His, his thing was like, you're here, you do some work, pick up everything that you can, because I ain't showing you anything. Okay. Um, there were a lot of other artists around who, in fact, did show me stuff. Okay. Ralph Reese and... and um, Larry was always nice to me, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Marshall Rogers. At that time, he was doing Batman, and you wow. know, then later on, he he did uh, Mister Miracle. He did all that stuff up there, so he would let me hang out. And you know, I basically just learned about the discipline of sitting down and doing comics um, by osmosis. The most important thing I learned was I couldn't tell you because it was so many. It was like keeping your ass in the seat. Mm. You know, um, um, turn in your work on time. Well, Neil wasn't the best person for that. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was just, it was like an immersion. You know, it was like boot camp. It was like artist boot camp. Mm, okay. Comic book artist boot camp. You just, I was just in it. Okay. So, you know, I, 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 I did as, 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 uh, as much as I could. But my m- main memories of continuity is just messing everything up all the time. <laughs> it really was. It was like, you know, I just couldn't do anything right. But, uh, uh, you know, that's my, my perception. I'm, I'm sure that wasn't the reality. Right, because it wouldn't have kept you around if you were constantly messing up. No, right. no it wasn't that kind. <laughs> yeah, you're probably putting a lot of pressure on yourself. One, qu- one quick aside then, man. Um, there's a picture of you together with Jorge Zafino. That's right. On his site. How did you meet him, and were you a fan as Crazy well? Crazy story, well as right? Isn't that crazy that you see that picture? Yeah. Um. I'll tell you exactly what happened. This is probably in the late 80s. Okay. Or maybe early 90s. And, um, no, it's probably early 90s. And I was drawing the question, was it the question, or was I at Marvel? I could have been Deathlock, around the Deathlock time. No, it was a question time. Mm, okay. No, I know what it was. It was like around Dr. Zero. I was doing a thing yes. called Dr. Zero. Okay. We're going to get to that later, sir. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I was up at Marvel all the time. And Winter World had come out. And uh, a couple of other things that come out that he did, the Punisher story that he did, Punisher Warzone, and yeah. Punisher that he did with um, Mary Jo Duffy. She wrote it, and he drew it. Mm-hmm. 
first time I'd ever seen his work. And I remember seeing his work in his graphic novel and just being floored. Right. I was literally like, oh, my God, this guy's doing everything I want to do. Yeah. You know, except he's doing it. Like, if I could magically transform myself into a great artist, this is what it would look oh, like. Oh, okay, here we go. Totally serious. <laughs> that's that's why I thought, and I was just, like, in love with it, and I was just like, look at it, I'd study it, and i you know, try to find out as much as I could about this dude. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fast forward a couple of months after I discover his work, and I'm still drawing a question, I'm inking, I'm doing a lot of stuff. Turns out he was visiting New York. That's where I lived back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm up at Marvel, and, uh, you know, the word gets around the office that uh, Jorge Zafino's there. And I made a beeline to, Jorge's, to, yeah. to, to Mr. Savino. And, you know, it turns out he didn't speak any English. Mm. None. Mm. But he had his translator there. <clears throat> his translator was a really cool guy. Mm-hmm. So we just started hitting it off, and we just talked to the translator. And I talked to the translator through, through the translator to Jorge Zafino. Well, long story short, we end up, going out to dinner <laughs> okay uh me Jorge you know his wife the translator and um my girl at the time a lady named Chantal Donis who was a VP of operations at DC okay uh, she's a VP of licensing rather so we all end up hanging out then we go over to my house now this is incredible to me I can't believe I'm even hanging out with this dude of course we get to my house and he has a portfolio with him, by the way, a big old portfolio, because I guess he hadn't gone back to his hotel. We kind of kidnapped him. His mm-hmm. wife's hanging out with my girl. The translator's hanging out with us. We're talking to the translator. Chantal actually spoke Spanish, mm-hmm. so she was speaking to him. We all hit it. It was the greatest evening in the world. He's telling me about his art training and growing up and blah, 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 and who his teachers were and a guy named um, Bre- uh, Breccia, which I will get to in a, in a little while. Mm-hmm. And we just start going through all this stuff. Then he opens his portfolio. And I'm like, and then he opens his portfolio, and inside are Punisher pages, Ooh. oil paintings, Ooh. oil paintings, <laughs> which he had never shown anybody, sketches, all kinds of stuff. And then he goes, pick whatever you want. Oh! <laughs> and I'm like, I'm looking at Chantal, I'm looking oh. at his wife, thinking this has got to be a trick. So I'm like, Oh, my God. So I go to Reach, and I start picking out some Punisher pages. And I, I mean, I'm taking everything. Cause, hey, <laughs> so then he stops me. He goes, hey, you can't take any of this stuff unless I get some of yours. Oh, oh man. And I'm like, oh. you must be fucking kidding me. Yo, well, oh. I literally like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, no. He was dead serious. You're a wonderful artist. I love your work, and I want to take some of your work. Wow. So I had to open my stuff up, and he took like a handful, like question covers and all, all kinds of stuff he took. Um, Damn. It was really <laughs> something. So that picture that you see is yeah. taken in my apartment in New York. Okay. Awesome. And, you know, he's smiling and I'm smiling. It was literally one of the evenings I'll never, ever, ever forget. Mm-hmm. And we kept up there, you know, minor con- correspondence. I wanted him to work for Milestone. When I started Milestone, he didn't have the time. And, but, you know, it was just love all around him. Um, I was devastated when he passed away. Right. Literally, I was working on, on Static Shock at Warner Bros. when I found out, and I just had to sit down. And I was just like, oh, man. Oh, shoot. I'm thinking about it now. It gives me chills. But that's the story behind that picture. And it turns out, like, I'm like, 
why aren't you, and I, mean, I asked him, why aren't you working more, and why aren't you doing more stuff? You're such, such a genius, you're this, you're that, you're one of the greatest artists I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. What's going on? He wasn't getting a whole lot of love in, uh, from Marvel Comics, or, and he wasn't, certainly wasn't, the other artists weren't really speaking to him. Really? I found out. Like, yeah, he was getting kind of a little frozen out. Now, why is that? Because uh, he was so great, really. Okay. You know, and it was easier not to speak to him and just kind of like hope this guy goes away. <laughs> That's okay. my impression. Okay. And embracing him and going, you're a great artist. Let's all hang. Now, I don't think everyone did that, but I think they got enough of it that, you know, he didn't do a whole lot of stuff for Marvel. He did some stuff. Yeah. Mm. But it That's... wasn't like, you know, it was, it was, I just don't, I, what the translator told me was that he wasn't getting a whole lot of love. Okay. I'm like, hey, ain't no problem here. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, I'm one of the few people who even hang out with him. Yeah. Very impressive, sir. And it's still a profound influence on my work. He's still just one of the best. If mm-hmm. I, you know, again, it's like Frank Robbins. If I want to get myself straight, just pull out some Jorge Zafino stuff. Pull, pull out some Winter World. I have his originals hanging up in my studio. Dang. And I just look up and I see these, you know, Punisher pages, and I'm just done. Mm-hmm. Done. He is crazy, crazy awesome. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, he's literally one of the best. You know, and he combined that black and white Alex Toth, yeah. you know, Sergio Topi, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Breccia thing, and just Joe Kubert just mixed it all up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, equals genius. Yeah, definitely. So that's the story behind that. It was a long-winded explanation. I could have just said, oh, yeah, he came over my house. <laughs> <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned Alberto Breccia, and he's, he's a – Awesome was an awesome, awesome inker, and and uh, I can definitely see the influence in your work now. That I think about, it, I didn't realize yeah. before you're a fan of yeah, it. Yeah, Brett, I'm I'm influenced by a lot of the Argentinian, Italian yeah. artists, and you know a lot of Americans. Yeah. But um, um, Breccia, I'll tell you a Breccia story. Ready for this? Sure, go. Breccia, um, I'm in Paris, minding my own business. <laughs> and because every story of my brother is like, I was minding my, oh, my own business, walking down the street, eating the tuna sandwich. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, so um, I'm in I'm in Paris. I'm at the um, I went to Lille, France first to go to a convention. I was invited out, and uh, Chantal was with me at the time, and um, I wanted to see a bookstore in Paris that sold graphic novels. I was obsessed with trying to find the best. I'm in Europe. I'm gonna find all the European motherfuckers. And take all that shit home. <laughs> so, um, and this is like, you know, this is like 1991 or 1992. So nobody was really into it, really. Right, so, like, exactly. I had all of Europe to myself. That's how it felt. Okay. So um, we found a bookstore called The Tower of Babel. Mm. Uh, they sold graphic novels. In fact, they had a section full of graphic novels, but they were all Italian artists. Mm-hmm. Because this was a foreign book. This is like an imported a, a bookstore that imported books in the middle of Paris, but not selling a lot of French books. They sold Italian books. They sold all kinds of stuff. Okay. So I walk in. I go to the graphic novel section, and um, I'm just pulling out all kinds of stuff. But the stuff that really got me was this book called, uh, it was called Mort Cinder. M-O-R-T-C-I-N-D-E-R. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, you've seen that. Yeah. That's, that's Bre- Breccia's work. Yeah. I had never seen it before in my life. Yes, so I'm right. opening this stuff up, hard, hardcover book, and I'm just like, oh, oh my 
my God. Yeah. I had found the artistic nirvana. See, a lot of artists want to tell you, we're always looking for the artistic nirvana. Right. We're always looking for that guy who answers all the questions that you've been asking. Right. You know? And I just steal from him. <laughs> um, so I open up this book, and I'm just done, and I'm looking at this stunning black and white work, and just way beyond, I mean, to me, it was way beyond Zafino, way beyond any of that stuff. It was just brilliant. So, like, I'm, I get a stack of his work, and I get some other stuff. But literally, if you hold your hand, like, you know, six inches from, from, from like, a stack of books like that. Okay. Graphic novels. I bring them up to the counter. Chantal is with me. It's in the middle of the afternoon. And I'm so excited. I'm so happy. And uh, in this store, there was... Um, there was a couple of people there. I remember this. There was like this, you know, this lady walking around shopping. There was an old man standing in a the corner. There was like, you know, some lady with kids. It was like that. But it was basically not a lot of people in there. And I go up to the counter, and Chantal's like, I know you're going to ask for a discount, right? Because you're a professional artist. I'm like, I ain't going to ask for no discount. They don't know who I am in Paris. Come on, don't embarrass me like that. <laughs> so, um, but obviously I'm going up there with all these graphic novels. The guy goes, oh, so are you an artist? He's taking my money, and I'm like, well, yeah, I, I draw comic books. He says, so do you like this this artist, uh, Breccia? And I'm like, I said, mister, this is some of the most stunning art I've ever seen in my natural life. Mm-hmm. I just love this stuff. He goes, well, he's standing right there. Oh. I looked over, and the old man was, out, was, was Breccia. Shit. He happened to be visiting from Argentina, I swear to God. Oh, shit. And he had just stopped in to see how his books were doing. Wow. So I'm like, oh. wow. I'm like looking at this old man standing in the corner. He just waved at me. I'm like, oh, oh, wow. I didn't even know what to say. So the guy goes, would you like him to sign it for you? Chantal was like, yes, get him to sign it for you. Get him to sign it for you. I'm like, okay. So I walk over to him. Like, Mr. Breccia. And he's looking at me because he doesn't speak English that well. Right. But Chantal is translating again. And um, can you sign? I'm in awe of your work. Can you sign this for me? He takes the book, the Mort Cinder book, off the top, uh, opens it up because it's a hardcover. And inside the hardcover, the, the, um, the first page you see is blank. Mm-hmm. Picks it up, walks over to a corner. T- uh, I actually uh, took a pen out of his jacket, a pen and starts drawing inside the book. Yes! <laughs> I'm standing yes. about to pee on myself. <laughs> no, really, I'm like, fuck, I can't believe this is happening to me. I'm looking at Chantal. So he starts drawing in the book. I will send you a scan of this because no one's ever seen this. Please do. So I'm drawing in the book, and he's like, I can't quite describe it over the phone, but... I don't know if you're one of your artists, but you certainly know your stuff. But literally, he's not, he didn't sketch anything out. He literally started from one corner and in, one, in, in several continuous strokes just started drawing. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at him in amazement. Then I don't quite see what he's doing because I'm not going to stand over him, stare at the dude. He hands me the book back. I open it up. He drew himself drawing a comic book page. With much affection. Wow. You know, Breccia, to my good friend Dennis, with much affection. Breccia. Dude. Crazy, sir. Incredible, sir. Then it gets better. 
Chantal goes, we should invite him out for lunch. I'm like, oh, no, he doesn't. He just, you know, he doesn't want to go to lunch with us. Why would he want to go to lunch with us? He just did this picture for me. Let the man go. <laughs> Before <laughs> so he takes him back, right? And in perfect Spanish, invites him to lunch. He goes, sure. So we go to lunch across the street, <laughs> me, Chantal, and, and, and Breccia. He sits down, and he, he was a very charming, old-world, Spanish, old-world. Mm-hmm. So he's such a charming Chantal. And they start speaking in Spanish. And then he's asking her about me. And I'm explaining to him who I am. And then he goes, do you know my students? And I'm like, your yeah, students? No. He goes, do you know Garcia Lopez? Uh, uh, I know Garcia. I know Garcia Lopez. He goes, do you know Jorge Zafino? I'm like, yes. He's like, these are my students. He goes, how are they doing? I'm like, very well. Very well. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, I think they're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> they trained under him. If you go back and look at um, any interviews with um, 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 Garcia Lopez, who is one of my favorite artists, yes, wow. um, he'll mention him and how he trained under him. Totally true. <sighs> so I'm like, I'm with the motherfucker who taught the motherfuckers. What <laughs> <I'm like. laughs> you can't tell me shit. That's what's it. Up? That's what's up. <laughs> Ah. I mean, I went to the source. I mean, I went to the atom. I'm not the source. There is right, no, yeah. there is nothing beyond this, right? You know. Right, yeah. So uh, he was incredibly nice, incredibly charming, and I studied his work ever since that meeting. It was just, and you know, he died a couple of years after that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But um, it was just oh, I've I've been really, really blessed with the, uh, with the with the people I've met and how kind they've been. Mm-hmm. That's, those, those are both awesome stories. They really, are. they really are. Oh, my totally God. True. Yeah. Totally true. At the right place in the right time, man. I, and, you know, what are the chances of that happening, really? Mm. I mean, come on. I'm a minute either way. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could have gone to lunch instead of going to Tower of Babel that day. Right. right. Let's get something to eat. I'm hungry, you know. Then that right. would have been it. And I've been, I wouldn't have that story and none of that stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, yeah, I gotta try to get back on track. Right, composure, right? I'm all <laughs> derailed. Right? Uh, Let's see, uh, Dennis, Dennis, you, how now? How long after you were interning? Because we know you interned at Marvel for a while too. I never interned at Marvel. You never interned at Marvel. I okay. never interned at Marvel. What I did was, um, I was working at. Well, you have to you have to realize at 14 or 15, I'm at Continuity. Mm-hmm. I just finished with uh, Rich Buckley. I'm at Continuity. I started getting my own work at 17. Okay. So I, I, never, I was never a Romita Raider or any of that kind of thing because I was already doing comic books. Okay. Um, yet, that is not to say I didn't hang out with those guys. Right. You know, and, and I remember John Romita Jr. We're about the same age. I remember him coming in and hanging out with his dad and trying to draw the X-Men and doing all this stuff. Um, um, and, you know, I would sit in the bullpen with the Romania Raiders, but I was never a Raider. I would just hang out. Okay. okay. You know, I was handing in my work. Okay. All right. So it was Romania Raiders plus one. Yeah, it was Romania Raiders <laughs> plus you know, The dude just hung out trying to meet people. Okay. That's cool. What was, what was your first major assignment in comics? Like, what was, what was the first kind of stuff hey. that you did where you were like, okay, I'm, I am now a working professional comic book artist. I'm working month to month. Month to month, probably uh, Power Man and Ipis. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Probably Power Man and Ipis, nineteen eighty. Okay. And uh, I, I, uh, Carrie Gamble was drawing it before me. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. It was yeah. Great. Yeah. And uh, but you know my youthful arrogance, of course, I was better than everybody. <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, 
I uh, I took over the book, and um, you know that's when I kind of you know realized that I was really in this business. Okay. And I you know I might be able to do something. Dennis, did uh, did the question precede Deathlock for yeah. you? It did. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now. Early in your in your career, you, I guess you did Spectacular Spider-Man, Flash, and then you mentioned Power Man and Iron Fist. <laughs> I did Spectacular Spider-Man. You know, if I did, it's probably backup stories like okay. you know, Spider Woman. You know, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> the Flash, I did Firestorm. Oh, okay, okay, okay yeah. yeah. I was doing a backup Firestorm. I did also backup stories. See, now I'm, all this is coming back. I did uh, Superman backup stories. Mm-hmm. You know, so back in those days at DC. What they would do to bring their artists along and to um, you know kind of teach them the business is that they they had seven page stories mm-hmm. right. and eight page stories mm-hmm. and um, they just gave me those so I worked with Joe Orlando who taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie Schwartz was my editor. Mm-hmm. He was wonderful to me, You're but um, I didn't do anything. Uh, um, uh, Paul Levitz at mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. was an editor. Okay. And um, um, so I did a lot of those stories for at least a couple of years. Okay. And then um, um, I ended up getting the Power Man and Iron Fist stuff after that. Okay. And then the Power Man and Iron Fist came the Black Panther miniseries roughly around that That came time? around, yeah, that came, yeah, a little bit after I did that, after I finished Power Man and Iron Fist. The next thing I did was the, the miniseries, which didn't come out for five years. Yeah, I was going to say it got held up, yeah. It got yeah. held up, and it got held up because it was about South Africa. That's yeah, because it was during the eighties. It was yeah. like my whole thing was like I want to draw a Black Panther story. It was me and I, Peter Gillis, mm-hmm. and and the only story I really wanted to do was like okay, he's an African king, but there's horrible injustice going on in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Horrible injustice. Nelson Mandela is jailed. Um, our people are oppressed. What is he going to do? Mm-hmm. That's right next door. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and and we took it off from there. So I did three issues. And then Jim Shooter actually read it. And he was like, I can't publish this. <laughs> he literally said, we can't publish this. And I'm like, well, why? He's like, because people might get really upset. You know, mm. all those comic books we sell in South Africa. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay. So it was shelved until, um, you know, I became a big superstar, and then they wanted to do it again. <laughs> I, um, like five years later, I'm doing the question. Right. And uh, they wanted to, me to finish up the last issue. Okay. Which is, so if you look at it, it's like, you know, the splash page of the last issue and the covers of the, the, the last issue look completely different in style mm-hmm. than um, the first because I had, you know, it's five years. Yeah, five years of growth. Yeah. 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 Um, when you did the question, uh, Dennis, now I was a fan reaction on that book because your style was starting to me, it was starting to mature and kind of crystallize at that time. At the time I was doing the question, it's, it's hard to describe except that um, it was like, you know, well, I can answer the question. The fan reaction was, you know, I guess people liked it. You know, I, I would go to conventions and stuff, and you know, they're, they're, the question had rabid fans. Mm-hmm. But they were, not the, you know, they were not the same fans that bought Superman. Mm-hmm. They were not the same fans that bought Batman even. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was really a Vertigo book before there was even a Vertigo. True. Very true. And so we tended to get those fans. A lot of chicks dug the question. Okay. They were fat chicks, but... <laughs> no, it's enough for me. Like, no. <laughs> uh, any attention is better than no attention. So, um, I, uh, uh, 
so you know, fan reaction, it, it was good. I got a lot of reaction from my fellow artists. I would get reactions from my fellow artists. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, on it, and um, and of course, you know, I worked with Bill, and I shared a studio with him. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, he ended up making a lot of the covers, and we collaborated. Before that, we had no, we had collaborated Doctor Zero. After that, mm-hmm. so the question was our real first collaboration. Okay. And um, you know, fan reaction was okay. It was good. Mm. But it was a particular kind of fan that read the question. Were they more like Ditko-ish style fans as far as the question was concerned? Like, and obviously, that being his character. Um, no, because the fans I met would hardly ever talk about the Ditko question. It was okay. really about the, the question that we did. Okay. Um, and I never really, I mean, I did the first issue. And here's another thing that you guys, you know, people don't know. I was not the first artist chosen for that book. Mm. Okay. Who was? Ernie Cologne was supposed to draw that book. Oh, really? Yeah, an artist named Ernie Colon. Yeah. C-O-L-O-N. Yeah. And uh, he couldn't do it. So I remember Dick Giordano literally seeing me in the hallway going, come to my office. Sat in his office, and he goes, I'm going to give you a great opportunity. And I'm like, okay, what is it? <laughs> I mean, I could draw the vigilante all day. Okay. So that's what I was doing back then. And he's like, we want you to do this book called The Question. And his baby, he ran down the whole thing to me and, um, you know, I'm, I left in a kind of a daze, and then I went and saw Denny O'Neill, and he gave me the script, and I was off and running. Mm, okay. It was really like, literally, he just handed it to me, and he said, Ernie Cologne just dot, dot, ducked out of this. Mm. And, you know, we've been looking at you, and you seem to be like, you know, let's, let's, let's give this a try. Okay. And I was, you know, I didn't realize how, like, lucky I was back then, you know, because back then, I, stuff just happened. I was supposed to do that, of course. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to do next? But um, uh, it was uh, fortuitous to say the least. It was it was uh, quite an honor. Yeah, definitely. And you were, you were nominated for an Eisner for that series, I was right? Nominated for an Eisner and uh, Harvey Award. And yeah, kinds of stuff. It's cool. Mm-hmm. I yeah. lost out to Steve Rude well. for the Eisner, I think. And, uh, well, there's there's no harm in that. I mean, yeah, yeah, really. Can't <laughs> draw. Why did he get it? <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, can you describe what life was like as a successful comic book creator back in those days, the the late eighties and early nineties? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but that was like the height of the boom and royalties and incentive the payments and all that start, stuff. Yeah, the boom was just starting. And, okay. Um, um, what was the interview that I heard with you? Was it Tom Coker? Mm-hmm. Yeah, must mm-hmm. have been Tom Coker. He the talked Tom about Tom Coker it. thing. We talking about making those large royalty checks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he lived for a year off of one of them. Yeah. Just took time on just live for a year and thought it was going to be like that. Then he came back and the shit wasn't like that at all. Right. That's pretty much the story of of how it was. I mean, I, I at the time I didn't think of myself as a you know very successful big time comic book artist who was so successful. And the books that I did didn't g- generate huge huge um, royalties. Mm-hmm. But the, you know there were a few that did. The question never did. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't set up that way, and it just didn't sell like that. When I went over to Marvel and started Deathlock is when I saw my first you know, $60,000 royalty checks. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pump your yeah. brakes, partner. Hold on, hold yeah, really? on. Hold really? Hold on. 60K. No, getting paid like that. That's, that's incredible, sir. 30000 And, you know, getting to the point where if you've got a $10,000 royalty check, you're looking like, Pah. This is some bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. I got to get on a book that makes some money. <laughs> wow. 60K? Yeah. Really oh. like that. That was the gold rush period for comics. Man. It was. The, the salad <laughs> and, and, and look, that was not a big check for people. That was like, okay, oh, that's a nice check, you know. All right, brother, let me go take my, you know, 75K. 
I'll meet you at the coffee shop. I think I think uh, <laughs> probably the greatest story. It's probably not the greatest story that ever was, but the greatest one we ever heard on this show was talking to Bob Layton when he was at uh, Valiant, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he said that uh, there was a writer who he gave a check to, and, and his first royalty check for one issue was like I think two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right. 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 Two fifty. Right. It was like that. Absolutely. You, know, so you get all used to that shit and you think it's going to be like that forever until it stops. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, until you know, the boom. I, I have to honestly say, I never ever got into comics even back then for. I mean, money's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was never ever, you know, to make as much money as I possibly could. Nah. Now it's to make as much money as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was, um, you know, it's just all fun. It's yeah. All, you're just crazy and you're young and you're just doing whatever and you think it's going to be like this forever. Let me ask you this question in regards to your switching from series to series, like from Black Panther to Deathlock and, and Dr. Zero and so on and so forth. What's the greatest transitional point that you think you, that occurred in, the, in those issues? I mean, in terms of working with those various authors and things like that. Sure. Um, again, this is like going back in the memory bank, you know, 20 something years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, on the question, I had an editor named Mike Gold. You're right. And it was Mike Gold and Danny O'Neill was a writer. And nothing I did was good enough. Mm. Nothing. Mm. He had me, like, he rode me like a hobby horse, Michael. He was just, I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. It was, <laughs> no, it was, it was great because he was always very enthusiastic about stuff, but he was that editor. You know, mm-hmm. he wanted to get it right, and, you know, I'm young and stuff, and he really had to whoop my ass all the time. Okay. Now I appreciate it. Back then I'm like, who's a white man telling me what to do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the artist. <laughs> well, fuck, you ain't never drawn shit. I was that guy. But um, I tried to listen in. And, um, I tried to listen in and learn as much as I can. Now I appreciate everything that he said. Then I, I didn't understand anything. So it was rough with Mike Gold sometimes. And, uh, you know, everyone had high expectations. Um, and and uh, I was doing, I was trying to do my best to fulfill them. But, you know, I, half the time I didn't know what I was doing. So. Again, if you hear me keep saying that people are really patient, it's because it's true. Okay. They, they really were. Um, Archie Goodwin was my editor mm-hmm. on the Dr. Zero. Yes. Yeah. And, Archie's awesome. Oh, what a dream. And, of course, again, I'm taking everything because this is my life. I've known these people since I was 14 or, you know, 14 years old. I'm running around as a kid. So by this time, I'm 20, right? Mm-hmm. I've known these people my entire life damn near. So I didn't look at them quite the same way that other people did. I just worked with them. Okay. So, you know, Archie was one of those guys who I, I knew was brilliant or whatever, and I knew he had done Manhunter, one of my favorite series. But he was my editor. Mm-hmm. And this was my life, and I was just working with him, and it was, you know, it was all great. He barely said anything to me mm-hmm. about um, the Dr. Zero material. In fact, I probably worked more with D.G. Chichester, Dan yes. Chichester, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, Margaret. Um, than uh, than than Archie himself. Okay. Kind of there. Okay. Now it does not mean I was not in awe of him, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. You know, it was like an everyday thing. I would see him all the time. What was it like to start off with a fresh like that? That was a whole new universe. That 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 uh, universe with uh, Doctor Zero and the Shadowline Saga. What was that like creating a character from scratch versus having to have a blueprint of somebody else's work with you? Right. Um, well, the, the Dr. Zero stuff, I don't even really remember, though I know I designed his costume and pretty much did the first issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that time for Dr. Zero, I was more concerned with style 
than any of the stories. Like, I, I barely remember any of the stories. Mm-hmm. But I do remember drawing the issues and trying to, you know, do my best breccia or whatever I was looking trying at. Trying to freak people, it. Yeah. You know, imitation that I could. And the best thing about that series <clears> is that I got a chance to work with Bill. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we were on the same wavelength on a lot of stuff so it was just it was just a dream it was just a dream for me to get to see that stuff inked um and it wasn't since my intent was not to try to create this whole universe but it was really more i'm just going to draw it best i'm going to draw it the best way i can um that was really what i was i was i was thinking about then so there were no inherent difficulties for me mm-hmm. you know it was just it was a job and I was happy to do it, and if I had to design characters, I would design them and not even really think about it that much. Except, mm-hmm. hope this looks cool. Okay. And I just kept going. I remember he had, like, the shoulder pads and the cape. Mm-hmm. And he had that interesting, uh, these uh, studded sparkles down his yeah, legs. Yeah, I know. That was all me. I'm like, <laughs> right? And I was like, I was wondering to myself, I was like, was he, did he, did he, did he just channel Prince into this character? <laughs> I probably did. You know, because I, like, I was like a huge yeah. Prince fan. Right. I, mean, I was a huge Prince fan back then. So it was probably a little bit of like, you know, Spangles, you know, uh, 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 um, you know, accoutrements like that. And, right. You know, just, he had that big pompadour too, right? Yeah, yeah. He had some hair going on. Yeah. <laughs> now, what his powers were, I could not tell you to this day. Okay. I have no idea. Okay. Like, yeah, I knew he flew. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And he looked really cool standing there with his like, you know, his cool design, his black pants and his white shirt with the half circles, but Okay. Dennis, I I gotta ask you this question. You talk about Mike Gold uh, uh writing you about your art and trying to get it right. Oh. And you and, and you also talk about style and being concerned with style. Uh, a, a mutual friend has told us that there's only one response to this statement, so I will make it and see if you give the correct response. Dennis, we find your style to be very unorthodox. But effective. Ah! <laughs> That's my shit! That's my shit! Wait, come on now. <laughs> Ghettos are the same all over the world. Sir! And then you gotta squint. And look, get that far off look in your eyes. And That's as a cool. little black kid in the audience, I'm like, I wanna be like him. <laughs> Jim Kelly. That's it. Bruh. That's it. That's it. Recognize. Jim Kelly. Did you really? Oh, oh, everybody's quiet now. Yes, I did. <laughs> At the last San Diego Comic Con. Okay. Did you know Jim Kelly was there? Had no idea, right? No. I'm doing, I finished doing a panel. I come down. A brother comes up to me, gives me the, um, um, the, the kind of Shaolin Kung Fu greeting, like, you know, the fist, the clenched fist thing. He says, um, he introduced himself, he's Sifu, I forget his last name, Davis, my brother. And I'm just talking to him, you know, he's like, I understand you in the arts, I understand this, blah, blah, blah. Hey, brother, does somebody want you to meet? I'm like, who? He's like, Master Kelly. I'm looking at him like, Master Kelly? Jim Kelly? He's like, yeah. Uh, he says, come by booth 201 or whatever it was, and, uh, you know, come in. I say, okay, I'll be there at four. I go down, I go down to the booth, I make my way to the booth. There's nobody there. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go. So out of nowhere, the, the dude appears. He's like, hold on for a second. Master Kelly's going to be here. Master a minute Kelly. later, Jim Kelly shows up. Wow. And I'm like, holy shit. See, I always got good stories. It's Jim Kelly. That's crazy. You know, I have like four pictures of me and Jim Kelly in kung fu poses. Oh! <laughs> next to me, took pictures with me. And I, stood, I looked at Jim Kelly, and I said, Master Kelly, it's... It's such an honor. Just like, you know, you would do. And I'm like, um, I, and I looked at him, I said, 
you just look incredible. Mm-hmm. You just, you, you are the man. You just look about my height. <laughs> he looked me up and down. He says, you look good too, brah. And then it was all poses. It was so <laughs> effing cool. And it's kind of with Jim Kelly. Man. Guess which one's a movie star. Yeah. Man, you draw like something straight out of a comic book. <laughs> Mr. Hand, Bullshit, man. Mr. Handman. Mr. Oh, Handman. That's what's up. You got any Chinese spare ribs? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you, darling. And you. And that's it. And you. That's it. Oh, I know that. Oh, God, that's my movie. Yeah, so. Jim Kelly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. I saw uh, Warren sent us a picture of him and Jim Kelly. I don't know if it was at San Diego. Right. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, you know, it could have been I because, you know, Jim Kelly lives in California. And it's probably not that hard to see him if you really wanted to, just going out to the tennis court that he works at and he owns and trains people and stuff. And right. probably meet him. But for me, it was the last person I expected to see. Right. And I was done. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Kelly. That's awesome. Uh, man, when, when you did Deathlock, uh, with uh, Dwayne McDuffie, who was the writer on the book. Now, how did you guys first link up as 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 creators? And at what point did you did you guys find that you had like a common kinship or a bond, so to speak? Yeah, that's strange, isn't it? Because we really we really do creatively. Um, uh, it was the miniseries because uh, I did the Death Like miniseries before I did the series. Mm-hmm. The reason why I did the series is because the artist on it, uh, Butch Geis, couldn't finish the last two issues. I don't know whether it was a a speed thing or a personal thing. Mm. We'll get back to Butch in a second, but um, so they asked me if I if I can come on and, and and help them out and do the next two issues of the miniseries. So I did, and then um, I ended up on the series. But Dwayne had written those, so I just kind of worked from the script before I even knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we collaborated on the series, Dwayne's uh, Dwayne's scripts, even at that time, were a cut above. Almost anything else I worked, and I worked with Denny and all those people, and I'm not counting them, but I'm just saying there was something about his, the way he wrote, the way he wrote his panel descriptions, the, the, the dialogue, the setup, that I immediately understood. Mm. Like, like some John Lennon, Paul McCartney shit. Mm-hmm. Like, we just, I just locked in, and it was, you know, you know, you know what came out of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, you know, Dwayne, Dwayne's writing. I've always responded well. It's always been like um, it's like a dream to work to work on on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Just it's just there's something about it. Can't 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 quite put my finger on what it is. Mm. And I've ne- I've never really found it the same way again. Okay. But it started on Deathlock and it started with the miniseries and then it went through the series and through Milestone and everything else we've done. Mm-hmm. Now you you mentioned Milestone. You, now you guys. Uh had certain goals with Milestone, and we want to kind of get to that in a minute. But I wanted to ask you, as it pertains to Black Panther, T'Challa, and uh, Deathlock, yeah, Deathlock. And, uh, and and other characters, even uh, Power Man or Luke Cage, mm-hmm. um, but having drawn characters of all nationalities and races and genders and even species, for that matter, mm-hmm. if you would, tell us how it was uh, trying to depict credible characters of color at Marvel and DC pre-Milestone, and then let's, let's get into Milestone itself. Sure. Um, well, you know, I think in in a way, you know, I got Power Man and Iron Fist and Deathlock and, you know, and the black character, the color characters. In a way, it was typecasting. Okay. Because I was one of the few black artists, aside from Trevor Von Eden and Ron Wilson, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's Ron, there was Trevor, there was Arvell Jones, who was like a little bit before me, right. Keith Holler a little bit before me. Right. There were those guys, but when I was in comics a lot, they weren't really doing a lot of work in comics. Mm-hmm. And I was up there all the time, and, you know, maybe it was my style or whatever, but they would choose me to work on these books, mm-hmm. pick me to work on these books. I never had a problem with it, because I'm like, I just wanted to work, so mm-hmm. if they wanted to put me on all the color characters, that was fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um... But I also saw it more as an opportunity. Uh, how did I differentiate them from each other? I couldn't even give you a, a, a coherent, there was no strategy involved. Mm-hmm. I just tried to draw them the best I could and tell the story the best way that I could. The way that, the, the way that I was trained, you know, if, if, if I was trained by the Neil Adamses and, the, and all these guys, and Rich Buckler especially, was that storytelling was paramount. It mm-hmm. was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. It was more important than drawing, even. Mm-hmm. Telling a clear story. I got that drummed into me by Joe Orlando. Mm-hmm. You know, beat up by Mike Gold. Tell the story. Are you telling the story? You're just drawing pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. Anyone can draw pretty pictures. Not many people can tell a good story. Right. So, my whole thing with dealing with all these characters was I just wanted to tell the story the best way I could. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and, you know, anything that that was successful came out of that desire. And part of that is, you know, drawing the best pictures that you can in order to tell the story. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, hopefully throughout my career, people have been able to follow what was going on in the comic book. And, you know, I was taught that you, you shouldn't necessarily have to stop on every picture and pause and go, oh, what a wonderful picture. Right. You should have an experience. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, put it down and go, God damn, that was good. Yeah. That was a good meal, shit. Mm-hmm. I'm not even hungry no more. Right. You no, know, that's it. So, um, you know, my my approach is telling the story. It wasn't trying to make the Black Panther different than Luke Cage, make Luke Cage different than you know, you know the the you know Deathlock, and I wasn't thinking like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully, they did look different, and hopefully, you know, the, the series are very distinct. But it's mostly you know telling the story. Okay. Um, my thing was, I mean, even then, my thing was to draw up. Drawing black characters is not a problem for me because I liked drawing black characters. Mm-hmm. And it was also the thing where it made me different than the next guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it really did. It was like, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily drawing Spider-Man, I wasn't drawing this, but I was drawing all these other characters that kind of meant something to me. Mm-hmm. Power Man Ifus meant something to me. Mm-hmm. I had the George Tuskey issue with the John Romita cover from number one. Literally, I was that kid who had it rolled up in his back pocket in the schoolyard. Mm. You know, growing up and looking at Deflock and going, one day, <laughs> go like this. And he had a black girlfriend mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Deflock, if you remember. Right, and he wasn't black himself at the time. And he wasn't black himself at the time. There was a lot of stuff. <laughs> mm. So it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, now, as Milestone Media, let's, let's go ahead and get into that. Uh, that was a company that you co-founded back in 1993 with, uh, with Dwayne McDuffie, mm-hmm. Michael right. Davis, and Derek Dingle, who you mentioned right. earlier that you've known since you guys were both. Yeah, little kids. Yeah, like riding big wheels and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the initial four <laughs> titles were Hardware, Icon, Blood Syndicate, and Static. Right. Now, describe for those who, who don't know or, or who maybe were too young at the time when those books came out, what kind of company Milestone was and what its creative goals were yeah. and, and how well you, you think you guys did in, in achieving. And how well we succeeded. Yeah, okay. some of those Well, the company was founded, I think, um, I think the first books came out in 92. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of started in 91, 
And uh, Milestone was actually named after, you know, the Miles Davis album. It yeah. was also named after what we were trying to accomplish. And, excuse me, and my son, uh, who was born around that time, was named Miles. Okay. So there was a lot, you know, there was a lot going on as far as the name is concerned. You know, the other guys may have different reasons, but I think that they would all pretty much agree with, with those things. Okay. Um, our goal was not to do black comics. We never wanted to be the black comic book company. Um, I started Milestone. I started it. I literally had an epiphany one day, and I'm like, oh, why don't we start a comic book company with the guys that I work with, and we'll just do it ourselves. And we'll do, you know, my initial thought was black comics. You know, we'll do, like, a lot of characters that we haven't been able to to do in our, you know, in our day-to-day stuff. Something was different than Paramount Ifis, someone was different than Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to give my son, uh, my new brand new baby boy, like I said, by the time he grows up, I want him to grow up in a world where the only characters are not Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And those are the icons, the white ideals to, if you want to be a hero, you've got to look like this. Right. Our theme at the time and our our, our, our mantra at the time was, you know, you get an incredible sense of validation seeing yourself represented in major media. You just do. Mm-hmm. Whether you're gay, black, you know, Asian, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to put all those characters on the printed page. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to do it for my kids and for kids. Like, okay, there's other heroes, there's other alternatives, you know. That's you flying up there. Right. That's you as icon, you know, as corny as that, that, that sounds. So our, our goal was to, to put these images um, in print and on the screen and wherever else we could, but to create a multicultural world that resembled our own and uh, that was an interlocking universe, very self-contained. So uh, uh, to the extent that we, that we succeeded, I think we did. I really think we did. At the time, it was incredibly hard. A lot of it was incredibly hard because, you know, we're doing it, we're working with D.C., and they were great. They didn't understand everything we were trying to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they were very supportive. Jeanette Kahn was an early big supporter. Paul Levitt's big supporter. Mm-hmm. There were people at D.C. who didn't get it and thought we were just doing black comic books and nobody was going to buy them. Mm-hmm. We literally heard that in a lot of meetings. Okay. But ultimately, I feel we succeed. I meet people today, you know, all those people who are too young to remember, they grew up looking at Static Shock on TV. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a lot of them, their first comic books were milestone comic books, especially if they were black because their parents would buy them black comic books and they weren't a lot, so they buy the milestone books. Mm-hmm. And I'll meet them today and they'll tell me how they grew up reading my comic books and how it literally changed their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a bit much to put on a comic book, but yeah. you know, I have to admit it's really cool to hear that and, and, and to meet, um, you know, people who, who were profoundly affected. So to that extent, we were successful creatively. Dwayne's a genius. Mm, okay. You know, uh, Dwayne, Dwayne, who was the editorial driving force um, for a lot of it, was genius in, in the way he put things together. And um, he really is a writer's writer. Mm. He was just great. So he was able to tie the whole thing together. Michael Davis, his ideas, I mean, Michael really came up with a lot of the stuff in Static. You're not going to hear this. But Michael came up with a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, uh, the the his the mom's name is Jean. That's Michael's mom's name. His best friends were Rick and Thor and all these people. Those were Michael's students at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, I was like, we were we were all we we were all um, very much in it. But uh, 
Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, it, it's also hard for me to really look at that material even now. Okay. And to to think about it objectively, even though all this time has passed. Mm. Because, you know, I was right in the middle of it. Oh, what I was going to say before was it was incredibly difficult because we were also under attack all the time. Mm-hmm. So whether it was from people at D.C. who were working with or from the outside world. Mm-hmm. There were whole comp companies that started because we started ours. And their whole thing, there was a comp company called ANIA. Mm-hmm. Look it up, A-N-I-A. I forget what the acronym stood for. But their whole thing was we were corporate masters. We were corporate slaves owned by MASA, and we were getting our funding from MASA, and therefore we weren't legitimate, but they were because they got their money from who knows where they got their money from. Correct. But they're they're from crack dealers. (laughs) The whole, um, because we kept it real. Um, They're (laughs) like, what are they? Like, you know, like NWA. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, But uh, their whole purpose the way they got publicity was attacking us. Mm. And uh, so it was kind of weird. You know, you thought you would think that you would do something like this and that people would. Kind of rally and celebrate. Well, yeah, like yeah. we all for one, one for all, we all black in this together. Shit. And here's the thing. They spent all this time attacking us in the print, in print and in the press, and our books suck, but their books are great, and so on and so forth. We meet them probably in Atlanta mm. or like a place like that. Finally meet these dudes, and I'm ready to whoop somebody's ass. Because back then, <laughs> all I did was try to whoop people's ass. Like, if you cross me, I'm like, oh, shit, we're going to fight. All right? Oh, we, oh, you want to fight? Oh, shit, let's go. I was really that crazy guy. So I'm ready to like, oh, we're going to throw down. I'm going to take this suit jacket off, and let's just go. That's it. <laughs> they come up to us, and they're like, are you Dennis Cowan? I'm like, yeah, Dennis Cowan. What's your... Can I have your autograph? <laughs> they asked for all our autographs. Like, all the Indian guy, all the guys who were saying all this shit, what it really was, then I realized, oh, this is just business. You guys are just looking for some publicity for yourself. Oh, and now you want my autograph. Here's my autograph. You know. right, right. 1-800-F-U. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> now I can kind of laugh about it all. Right. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, but then it was just like, oh, just felt like we were under siege all the time. Well, why do you think Static was the most successful of all the Milestone characters in terms of, uh, you know, by that I mean accessible to the mainstream enough to where they were able to get it and turn it into a TV series and the like? Well, basically because the, 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 the concept of Static is probably closest to the concept of Spider-Man, right? Right, mm-hmm. right. And, you know, that's already very popular, and it's not like we ripped off Spider-Man, but there were certain things in the mythology. The teenager that gets, you know, the powers, mm-hmm. and he's trying to figure out how to use them. And his, you know, identity as Virgil Hawkins, he's a geek, mm-hmm. a nerd. You know, he hangs around other nerds, mm-hmm. very Spider-Man-like. But when he's, you know, static, he's a dashing, daring, debonair, mm-hmm. wisecracking, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was it was accessible. The other thing is he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of the audience can kind of identify with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the pitch the pitch that Alan Burnett did, Alan Burnett was the executive producer of Static at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, at Warner Brothers Animation, it was shown on Kids WB, but the pitch was literally this to the executives. I know because he called me right after and then I ended up talking to these guys. It was... Chris Rock at 14 with superpowers. Hmm. 
No. They, oh, they that's, like, that's actually kind of perfect. Yeah. 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 They were like, sold. Okay. Okay. It was really like, okay, when are we going to do this series? Wow. And, and you know, then, you know, the, the, the rest is history. But that's basically that concept is a very strong, you know, simple, mm-hmm. direct, you know, Chris Rock at 14 with superpowers. I could totally see that, man. Yeah. 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 I could totally see that book. Mm-hmm. You know? Dennis, as far as uh, as far as static goes, we we actually had a conversation with John Paul Leone on the show, and he was talking about working Isn't on he static. Awesome. Isn't he just mm-hmm. the best? He's artist? he's fantastic. He's mm-hmm. one one of my one of my current favorites. God, mm-hmm. and, and he credits you. You talked about uh, Alex Toth earlier. He credits you as being uh, the guy who who actually introduced him to Alex Toth's work. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I met John Paul, uh, he was one of Michael Davis's students. Mm-hmm. See, okay. Back to MD. Yeah. And he brought this kid in who could really draw. You know, like this guy's really good. In fact, he's too good to be in my class. Like okay. you gotta meet him. So I meet, you know, I, I, I meet up with John Paul. He really didn't have much to say. He's a little, you know, he's shy. He's a bit shy. Right. My man. And I was already Dennis Cowan. Remember that? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Dennis Cowan. All in caps, bold. Right? Yeah, in caps, very bold. And the capital very D to the C. My milestone days. We all wore suits all the time. We were very professional. <laughs> right. So um, he comes up. And I remember this kid, and I'm not expecting much, because, like, your know, Michael students are great, but it is what it is. They're young, and they got a lot to learn. And he had this, I think it was Superman samples. And Superman was rescuing, there was a burning building, I remember, and this stuff, and Superman was rescuing people from a burning building. That's all I remember. Mm-hmm. But these samples were so great. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at these things, and I'm like, looking at this kid, looking at the samples, looking at the kid, and I'm like, well, obviously, he loves Alex Toth. Obviously, he's been very influenced by this stuff because he's working in this black and white style, and he's that guy. And so I asked him, I said, oh, so you like Alex Toth? He goes, who's he? Mm. Mm. And I looked at him, and I'm like, you know Alex Toth is? And I mentioned a couple of, you know, Jim Haldaway or whatever. And he's like, I, I have no idea who they are. I said, well, where do you get this style from? He's like, this is just the way I draw. I mean, I've seen some comic books, but... And I said, and I stopped him right there. <sighs> And I went into my drawer and I pulled out Bravo for Adventure or whatever it was. And I said, here, this is, this is what you're trying to do. You just don't know it. Mm. You know? But these guys have already gone to where you're headed to. Mm. You need to study this stuff because this stuff is you. You know? Mm. Go home, study this stuff, come back. And, of course, he comes back and he's a fucking genius. You know, he just, like, <laughs> it. And um, I remember also he was taking Walt Simons' class mm. at yeah. the time. yeah. And Walt would talk to me about John Paul and says, I can't teach him anything. What am I going to teach him? He's already great. Mm. And this is after a couple of you know, weeks in Walt's class, and he kept taking it, but Walt was like, what am I going to tell you? He was that good even then. Wow. He started out basically fully formed. Mm. What you see now is genius. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, back then it was a kid who just didn't know what he had, but had to do it. Yeah. And, uh, wow. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm the first person to show him the Alex Soul stuff and Jim Holloway and that whole style that he loves. He was doing it, just didn't know, just had no point of reference. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I know. Incredible. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Uh, as, far as, uh, as far as that goes, man, because uh, <clears throat> basically you were the creative director at Milestone, right? Yeah, I was a uh, yeah, senior VP creative director. Okay. Was- now, did you, did you come up with all the visuals and the character designs that we I saw? I created the whole of the Milestone universe. Um, I had a friend, I, I mentioned him earlier, Pat Gabriel, Angel Gabriel. Mm-hmm. 
and he had a place in North Manchester, Indiana, middle of nowhere. It's next. It's near South Bend, mm. you know, or near Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's like really in the Midwest. It was in the notch of the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. and uh, I would um, I would go out there and work. Sometimes I did a lot of questions out there. I would take months and just go out there, and just jam and just do books. And he would be working with me, um, you know, doing backgrounds and doing all this stuff. And we worked together and get the stuff done. Really good friend. Anyway, when we started Milestone, I had drawn some of the preliminary characters for the uh, proposal that we did for DC. But once it got accepted and we were going to go ahead, I had to design the whole universe. Mm-hmm. Now, back then, you know, I'm like 31 or 30 or whatever I was then, 29, you know, I, there's no problem for me to design the universe, of course. Mm-hmm. So I went to Indiana, locked myself in a room for a month and drew everything. Wow, okay. So I designed Icon and all his supporting characters, you know, Static, all his supporting characters, Hardware, all those characters that you see, all the ships, all the decals, all the buildings, everything. Wow, Blood Syndicate, yeah. You know, and, um, you know, Pat and I, and I, there's another guy, um, a guy named Jeff, I forget Jeff's last name, was working with us, and we just jammed and did all this stuff because we had to we had to create the Bibles for all these characters. Okay. So, you know, one of the things with Milestone was we didn't have a whole lot of money to be throwing around. And, you know, I was Dennis Cowan and Cap, so of course I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it because I didn't know that I couldn't. And, I, you know, I think I, I, would, I would say it was my only Jack Kirby moment that I've ever had where, you know, I felt that I was creating universes. Mm. And it was just flowing and I was just doing it. And, you know, what you saw was based on all that work. So you you basically came up with everything. Well, you know, visually. Yeah. But that was my job. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. like that, that's what that's what I signed up to do. Okay. So it wasn't like a hardship or something or like, uh, right. you know, like, you know, they're, they're making me do this, you know, I want to do this shit. It was more like, you know, I wanted to do it. I knew I could do it. Okay. The the B part then is going to be is our understanding is is that Jim Owsley was originally going to be the uh, Jim Owsley was the, was was really part of the milestone crew. yeah the editor in chief and he was going to be the editor in chief yeah um, you know him and Dwayne and me Michael and 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 Derek and uh, and I remember when it came time to do the deal I remember he had just gotten married mm-hmm. and security was a real issue for him <laughs> and I can understand that right. You know, and at the time, you know, Milestone was no sure bet, but he ended up getting a job at DC as an editor. And right. he was our editor, who was our DC liaison. You know, so he'd help create a lot of the characters. I mean, he was really there at the beginning, and then ended up working for DC and working with us, and we just kind of filled the stuff through him. Okay. Um, so, you know, in a sense, he's the unsung Milestone guy. In another sense, he's like Pete Best. Right. <laughs> you know, like... The fifth Beatle. Right. Yeah, he was like, the guy who was in the Beatles until they found Ringo. Right. right. You know, and all of a sudden there was no place for Pete. Right. And he didn't get a whole lot of credit, but he was there. Right. And, if, know, Pete, and if Pete is the fifth Beatle, then Brian Epstein was the sixth Beatle to me. Yeah. So. yeah and maybe yeah. George Martin was number seven, I don't know. Well, George Martin, well, there, there's a producing genius, but that's exactly. whole, that's exactly. whole discussion. Y'all ain't ready for that music discussion. <laughs> Did uh did Jim come up with the M logo that the company yeah. ended up using? I think he did. Okay, because he he was great with design and great with I don't know if it was Photoshop back then, but I'm pretty sure he did. Okay, the sideways M. Was okay. Great. Okay. 
Um, now this this is some stuff. This kind of goes off, you know, off off the, the, off the plantation a little bit. Sorry okay. for the reference there, metaphor there. <laughs> but was it during the milestone days that you did that doers ad? Yes. Yeah, sir. That was, um, yep. <laughs> Wait a minute now, and for those who are listening, and we're gonna post the link to this image. Oh no, Dennis. In the ad, okay, now you got to get this picture. Okay, he's a good-looking dude. Okay, let's go ahead and just be real about it. Okay. Pretty boy, Richie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like pretty, pretty, pretty. He, he's got this this kind of a, not a high-top fade, but he, it had a little rise to it. The full mustache, he's he's wearing like some satin uh, satin pajama top right. or something with a with a glass of doors, mm-hmm. looking like the smooth macadamia nut. <laughs> looking like the effing man. <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, after a hard day at the board, right. I get yeah, some I like doors. The black, I like right. the black with the glass of doors. It's, it's um, inspired by Billy D. Williams. Exactly. Yeah, I was. I don't know what it was, but uh, actually, I ended up getting that because the ad agency contacted me. Really? Yes. And I think they had seen my picture in Black Enterprise magazine or, or something That's like that. That's the other thing I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they did a whole thing on black artists, and Michael was in it, and I was in it. Mm-hmm. I think one other dude was in it, but mm-hmm. basically, I got the big picture spread because. Eric Dingle was the editor. Um, oh. and he, He's the one who approached me to do this whole thing. Okay. So they saw that, and they contacted me from that. And I ended up um, doing the Doors ad for them. I, I don't remember the agency. They were out of Chicago. Um, I also ended up doing... Um, uh, the Levi's commercial. No, that was Rob Liefeld. That was only Rob. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Rob. No, I ended up doing a, an ad for a Japanese fashion maker... Um, Isai Miyake. Oh, Isai Miyake? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I did a whole photo thing with him, <laughs> bottling his shit. In fact, the shirt I have on there is probably one of his shirts. Oh, wow. I know, I know. Like, <laughs> I, am, I am no model for anything. But that's like the rock and roll comic book uh, <laughs> days right there, yeah, man. Seriously. We're all rolling. We're all superstars. I know. Mm. How did the article from uh, Black Enterprise come about? That came about from Derek Dingle. Remember oh, Derek? okay, you said Derek. You, Derek, and Derek I was, you know, a very famous comic book artist back then. He was working for uh, Black Enterprise, and he really reached out to me and said, "Let's do an art. Let's do a whole thing on you guys." We did it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when that came out, and uh, uh, me and and my other buddies. I don't know if, if Dwight and I, if we were yeah. kicking it at the time, but I know me and. Uh, me and, an, and another friend and Dexter Vines, who's an inker in uh, real popular inker in comics. Now he's a buddy of ours for many, many years. We were all like, "Man, right? Those dudes are rolling." <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, dude, I, I was there, dude. Cause were yeah, you? Yeah, I was there. Okay. Yeah. My, my, I had like right after the ad came out. I remember going to a San Diego convention. So I think the ad came out like 1991 or yeah, you know, around then. And I went to the San Diego convention. Rob Liefeld made a beeline to me, mm. dude. I saw your ad. And I'm like, what? I saw your ad. No, really. I, I think it's great. We should all do stuff like that. I, I, I'm looking at the ad, right? I, I have it up on my ass. And he pulls one of his guys. Ed, do I have the ad hanging up? Yeah, he's got the ad hanging up. I have the ad hanging up, <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Then he went to the Levi's commercial. So. Right, 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 right. <laughs> cool. Wow. Um, Dwight, he brings up Static, man, and, and and Static was pretty much the one character that, that consistently held an audience after Milestone closed its doors, right. uh, so to speak, in 97. Right. Um, was it around that time when, you know, with WB and, 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 you know, Phil Lamar doing the voice of Virgil and Static, was it around that time that your career in mass media as far as TV and animation kind of got started? And 
Um, well, yeah. I mean, I was doing storyboards and I was doing stuff like that uh, a little bit before then. But as far as directing and producing and doing all that stuff, it was all through, through Static. Mm-hmm. Before Static, I was working at Nickelodeon. I was uh, doing character cleanup for McDonald's DVDs or McDonald's <laughs> videotapes that they would give out to the kids when you went in and you got like a snack pack and you got this video mm-hmm. of the Hamburglar and all these characters. I wasn't, <laughs> yeah. doing, yeah. I wasn't doing the storyboards. Okay. I was doing the character corrections. Mm. Okay. <laughs> on the Hamburglar. That, that's where my career was at that point. That's okay. Um, so I had done some, some animation stuff before then and then, you know, I'd done... Um, Voltron, I think it was Voltron, and um, just 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 different storyboard. I did a lot of storyboard work. Okay, I even ever got to um, to produce and direct Static Shock. Mm. Now, how now how did you end up getting into the producing and the directing, and you know, eventually, you know, senior VP at B- BET? Yeah, I know, or, right? You know, yeah, all that kind of stuff. A big deal. Um, well, well, Static was originally, you know, I, I mean, I was already in animation. I met Alan Burnett. He pitched it. Um, Kids WB liked it, and then I ended up meeting with the heads of Kids WB, and we pitched Static again. And you know, one of the things that we wanted to emphasize, you know, I just talked to him like, "Well, this character, this whole thing is not about violence. It really is about action." Mm-hmm. And we do the philosophy behind Milestone, philosophy behind Static, especially is that actions have consequences. Okay. You know, and so I kind of gave him this whole rap and just went into it. At the end of it. Come to find out, I was really being interviewed for a producer's job. I just didn't know it. Mm. So, okay. Like, so they're like, well, we don't think you're going to be the producer, but you can direct this thing. Mm. And then we'll bring you on and, you know, eventually produce it. And that's exactly what happened. Okay. So okay. I ended up directing for the first two seasons. And then um, Dwayne came out for season three and four, I think. But by that time, I was producing it. Mm. And, you know, you know, animation producers basically just the ringmaster. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, just kind of overseeing people, and and you know, basically, I'm the one who has a whole show in his head. Mm-hmm. Right. How it should look from the background mm-hmm. to, you know, the you know, the animation style to like how this thing is colored and everything. And um, you know, so I was able to do it, but I got that because I was the creator of the character along with Dwayne. Mm-hmm. So the uh, now, how did your career at BET? begin uh, and again i don't i'm not exactly sure where the chronology is but um but well, we were curious you know just yeah, how that, you got the on with bt them. came after the boondocks okay okay well then let's let's go let's back let's, let's go back to boondocks thing yeah. Dwight was, yeah well you know. that's it's really short reggie hudlin's a friend of mine mm-hmm. um him and aaron magruder mm-hmm. i met aaron when aaron first came out to la he was basically almost staying with reggie reggie he was, reggie was his mentor mm-hmm. he was taking him all around and, uh, you know, meeting people and doing this and that. And I would meet Aaron and we'd talk about comics and, you know, how to make deadlines and, and all kinds of stuff. He's a cool kid and, you know, Reggie's one of my best friends. While I was at Warner Brothers doing Static Shock, you know, I'm talking to these guys and they want to do a uh, Boondocks series. Mm-hmm. They had tried to sell it unsuccessfully. No one really got it. Um, and I think Aaron had pretty much, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm probably wrong. He probably, if you listen to this, probably you know, quickly correct me. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, my feeling was that they were frustrated and they didn't think they could sell it because mm-hmm. they had to and it really named it. So I was like, fuck it, you know, we're not going to really do this thing. Mm-hmm. So I said to Reggie, I'm like, what? let me put something together. He's like, what? Let me put something together. I'm going to get some of Aaron's strips and put something together. 
unbeknownst to anybody, I got a crew of guys, about four of us, and we put together our Boondocks presentation. Mm. And, uh, you know, put, put it on DVD, got all the voice actors, Phil Lamar, all these dudes. It was storyboarded out. It was limited motion animation. I um, took it over to Reggie's house. Aaron was there. And I put it in a DVD player, and at that point I realized I'm showing it to the goddamn creator of his strip. Right. <laughs> Who do I think I am? I must be insane. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, he didn't even know I was doing it. Now he's going to... And he looked at it, and he started laughing. Mm. And we went in. So um, at that point, I think they were trying to sell it to you know WB, and that didn't work out. So they took it over to Sony. That did work out. And uh, you know, originally the crew was me, Reggie, and uh, Aaron. Mm. And um, you know, I was born on to produce it since I had helped. You know, kind of took Aaron through the whole animation process. Um, Reggie. And Aaron kind of parted ways right before the series started. I stayed on for a year. Okay. Helped him get it started, and then that was it. I was gone, and, you know, the, whatever happened to the series after that happened. Um, I went back to doing comics after that, and about six, seven months later, I get a call from Reggie, and uh, he's gotten the job as head of BET. Okay. Hmm. So then he's like, yo, want to come over and run animation for me? <laughs> I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was one of those jobs where... You know, for BET, whatever that experience was at the end of the day, it's, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And as a, you know, as a black man, you're like, no, you know, I don't like anything they put on. I don't even watch this damn station. <laughs> really booty hole videos for uh, a brother turning on at 1230 at night. You know, at that time, at 1 o'clock in the morning when they right. had, you know, uncut. Right, right. You saw, you know, the chip drill video over <laughs> And Drop down right and get there. your eagle I'm on, like, girl. I'm gonna slide that that credit card right. Boom! It's like, it's real. I was like all about those videos, but I really didn't watch the network. Hey, it is um, what it is. You know, but it was one of those jobs where you know, how could you not do that mm-hmm. and get a chance to like really, really affect things and change things if you can. Mm-hmm. So um, I did. That's how I ended up at BT after Reggie's offer. Let, let, let's pause you there for a minute. Going back to Boondocks, mm-hmm. um, that was at Cartoon Network, right? Boondocks was shown on Cartoon Network. Okay, but we and, did it at Sony. Right. Okay. Yeah. And there were there was this, there was this big schism or this uh, this this controversial skit that never got actually aired. Um, well, it was two, two two episodes that got controversial that didn't get aired. Mm-hmm. That was uh, supposedly lampooning BET. Right. No, there was like you know yeah it was Deborah Lee and uh, Reggie. They made fun of Reggie. It was a lot of stuff. Yeah, why it was, why it never aired? I don't know. Okay. I, mean, I would have you, no knowledge of anything like that. Right, but but you had. Why is everybody laughing? <laughs> like but, I would know. I was only a senior VP. Right, exactly. <laughs> I don't know those things. Right, and I was the, yeah, exactly. Well, I guess you answered my question then. Because <laughs> I was I was wondering. It's like, wait a minute. Now, when I look at the credits, all I see is some guy named Brian Cowan. And Brian Cowan was the um, was the um, uh, one of the producers. Um, and Brian Cowan was there when I was there mm-hmm. for the first season. So, like, that was second season. Okay. But the first season, Brian Cowan was there. He's a white guy. I happened to have my last name. I would look at him and say, did your people own my people? <laughs> <laughs> Why are right. you here? Right. He's actually a very, very nice guy, and he was able to work well with Aaron. Mm-hmm. Prerequisite for doing that kind of stuff. Oh, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Okay. Just to clear up all, all future rumors that you had nothing to do with the BET skit. That's not, that's, that's not your... No, no. I okay. had nothing to do with that. I mean, I was working at BET at the time. Right. I was probably one of the people being made fun of. <laughs> it's quite possible. Yeah. <laughs> but just for the record, it was a, it was a, it was a brilliant and scathing, uh, not, just, not just that particular um, skit in itself, but the, the, the reverence of, of Aaron McGruder's series and Boondocks is, is quite credible to me. You know, yes, so. no, it, it is. And, it, and, you know, he, he deserves all the credit. Um, he can get. He's a brilliant brother and a great writer and a you know good artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we only wish the best for for, for everyone. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. We'll see whatever happens. What happens to the Boondocks? But mm-hmm. it's, I'm I'm very proud of the work that we did. Should be. Um, we we talked a little bit about the Black Panther uh, TV show and the promo that you all put together and everything, and and even the uh, the episodes which are available at certain <clears throat> places. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, how like how how did that whole series like begin? Like the idea of trying to do the Black Panther series and uh, yeah, I can get into it briefly. Yeah. Um, uh, Reggie was the president of BET. I'm the senior VP. We're looking around for projects that we want to do. Um, he mentioned the Black Panther, mm-hmm. and like I tend to do, I'm like, oh, you want a Black Panther? He's like, yeah, it'd be great to do a trailer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then basically that's all he said. And then he went off and was the president, was presidenting all over the place. <laughs> and uh, I uh, went to a studio called Titmouse mm-hmm. and said, hey, because I knew those guys. I'm like, we should do this Black Panther thing. It's a trailer. This is the way, you know, these are some of the pictures that we want. I kind of put it together okay, with those guys and um, just did the whole thing ourselves. It was about two minutes long. Came back, showed it to Reggie. He had some notes, but he was blown away. He really liked it. Okay. And um, we addressed the notes, and then the rest is history. It was literally sold to Marvel from that trailer. Mm. Okay. Which was basically motion capture comics. Mm-hmm. Right, and you say it was based on Ramita's uh, original drawings. And, and, Dave, and um, Dave Johnson came in. We, yeah, we did better motion capture comics than anything that had been done at Marvel up to that point. Mm-hmm. And we had no Marvel input. We just kind of did it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, you know, I wish I wish you guys could see that because that was uh, that was that was that was really something. But yeah, that so that's how it happened. And then, um, you know, they did they just took it and, and we pitched it to Marvel, and they loved it, and it was on. Okay, okay. Hey, last question, Dennis, before we let you go, and we appreciate all all this time you've given us. Yeah, man, this, no problem. This has been way over what uh, an hour and some change. <laughs> what we expected, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, on a perfect animated project that you would executive produce, who would be the dream team of creative people that, that you would want to work with? Like, who would who would conceive it? Who would write it? Who would be the story editor? Who would do character designs? What studio would animate it? Mm-hmm. And who would you hire for the uh, for the voice talent? Oh, my God. That's a big question. That's not one last little question. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? Um, oh, man. You know, the thing with animation is that there's so many people who work in animation that you've never heard of. Right. It's brilliant. Right. It's not like comics. You know, a lot of these dudes, you know, they, they get their weekly checks and they're just brilliant. But I would have, you know, the the project, well, I'm thinking about a couple of projects now. I'm not even going to get that out in the air. Mm-hmm. But um, I could tell you the creators I would have on. I would get Dwayne. I would get Reggie if I could. Mm-hmm. Definitely Reggie. Mm-hmm. Um um, there are other very good writers in anime. I'd probably bring in Alan Burnett, if I could, mm-hmm. story editor, writer. Um, I would get a guy named Butch 
Crystal Kick. Yes, uh, the director. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Which is brilliant. Which draws, you know, I think everyone draws better than me, but he's really just awesome. Okay. Um, uh, you know, Bruce Tim, just guys like that that I, that I know I would just, I would, I would bring them in, in on at the animation studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's a different thing. You know, I've got some people over at Wild Brain who I love. Mm-hmm. Um, Titmouse, of course, those are my boys. Mm-hmm. Big shout out to them. Um, they're, they're, they're great. I would have them do it because I know it would, it would just be right. Um, <laughs> of course, I would get the Japanese studio that did Afro Samurai. I, I would use them too. <laughs> of course, right. <laughs> Was that 40 Studio? Uh, I don't even know. I don't remember now. Okay. I used to know because I used to hang around all those guys, but of course, okay. blanked all that out of my mind. So. Okay. What else? What else would I do with that? I mean, you know, it's been such a long time since I really thought about animation and putting together projects uh-huh. that, um, you know, I would have to, I would have to get back to you in that. Well, who, who would you hire for the voice talent? Oh, you know, of course, I love working with Phil. It's the man. Lamar, who I yes. think is genius. It yeah. can do everything. You know, anyone does, um, who does um, 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 Samurai Jack and Green Lantern and Static Shock. Yeah, man. Yeah. You he's, know, it's over. After that, yeah, man. What else are you going to say after that? He's, yeah, he's the best. He's incredible. Um, but I've, I've had the chance to work with some very unique voice talent. Michael Jai White, of all people. Mm-hmm. Did okay. a lot of animation. Okay. And, uh, you know, just, just great. Um, it's just, you know, I would get... Uh, you know, Andrea Romano to be the voice director. Yes. That's my girl. She's incredible. Great. You know, and, uh, so it's just kind of like that. So I would just get together people I've worked well with over the years. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a half answer, but, you know, that's a big question. Yeah, yeah. We probably should have sent you that one in an email preemptively. Yeah, really. So you could still send it, but I'll write you back. <laughs> that would do. That's cool. Well, look, man, uh, we thank you again oh, yeah, for, so for this. This is yeah. awesome. This has really been. <laughs> well, you got some stories out of it. Oh, my God. These stories. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just what to say to a fella. All right. Uh, but definitely good luck with the uh, the new question that just came out. Um, thank you. Uh, and uh, and the Cat Birds is uh, the Black Panther. You said it's a fl- called the Flags of Our Fathers? Flags of Our Fathers. And then I think uh, if you look, Marvel solicited for April. Okay. That's when it's supposed to come okay. out. Klaus Jansen inked that. And, you know, oh, Klaus, wow. Okay. Oh, no. Klaus is just brilliant. Yes, yes. So, he's, um, he's somebody else we've been wanting to invite on the show since the uh, Alex really Toth to thing. Get him. I know he did the Alex Toth thing, and I talked yeah. to Klaus, and I was just like, I emailed him and said, I heard you breaking down Alex Toth shit, and you sound like that cool teacher I never had in school. <laughs> <laughs> like, I am a teacher. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. he is. He so, is. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Klaus is inking that, and um, I'm doing a graphic novel for Vertigo called. Uh, the Middle Passage. Wow. Okay. So the, mi- the Middle Passage? The Middle Passage. Reggie Hubman's adapting it from Sir. the book and from the screenplay, and I'm the artist on it. So, you know, there's okay. stuff going it's, on. That's going to be intense. Yeah, yeah you're, you're still is. doing the weighty material, sir. Well, stop yeah. it already. <laughs> like, why are we going to do this stuff if we're not saying anything? Right. right. You know, what are we talking about, really? There you know, we go. A lot of guys can draw people in tight underwear. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do that, you might as well have it be about something.
That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.